In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Today's readings center around the idea of righteousness. Righteousness both individually and corporately as well. Now, beginning with the word righteous, immediately we have an issue because we normally only hear the word righteous when it's preceded with the word self, right? As in self-righteous. Certainly not something we enjoy in others, and they probably don't enjoy it in us either. In Hebrew, the word sadak means one who is justified or one who has done justly. It can be used legally, as in the book of Job, where Job is literally on trial, or relationally, as in Genesis, where Noah is called a righteous man who walked with God. In Greek, dikaiosune means a state of being just or right. It's a character trait. And as we learn in the New Testament, it's a gift from God. It's not something that's earned. We cannot become righteous under our own steam. We are made righteous through our relationship with God, who forms us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, some believe that righteousness is all about faith. If we just believe in Christ and say the right formula, we're, we're justified. The problem is, though, while, while that might help us, it, it, what does it do for our neighbor? Righteousness is also about our actions, the actions that stem from a heart focused on Jesus. I believe that God isn't looking so much for our personal testimony. Rather, God is looking for the testimony of our neighbor about us. How are we living our faith? Does it make any difference to anyone else? In our reading from Isaiah, we hear the prophet address the people of Jerusalem with a dire warning from an angry God. They are addressed as being of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now please, let's get something straight here. If you read from the beginning, chapter 1, you see the people comparing themselves to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah because they had been nearly completely wiped out during the years of tempestuous wars and the reigns of a succession of corrupt kings. So when Isaiah is addressing them as citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's because they themselves compared themselves to citizens of those doomed cities. Isaiah then blasts them with God's condemnation. Condemnation of scrupulous liturgies accompanied by abhorrent actions. They keep every festival and they ignore the poor. 
they show up to worship like clockwork and ignore the plight of the widow and the orphan in their community. In these actions, they are actually very like Sodom and Gomorrah, who would abuse anyone rather than honoring God through their loving kindness towards strangers and citizens alike. God's judgment is pronounced upon Israel because they have acted unjustly as a whole nation. They have broken the backs of the poor to feed the rich. They have let those without a voice or power go into ruin, unnoticed, uncared for. Lord, how I wish these were unfamiliar words and problems today. As a people, we have allowed our system of government to be perverted, perverted into a pipeline of wealth for the richest among us, while the poor, the suffering, are ignored or worse, abused. We have allowed our own most precious gift, our children, to suffer under the threat of violence in school and in the public square because of our insatiable thirst for violence and warfare. It seems as if our craving for violence leads us to create war in our own streets, even as we pull our troops from action abroad. We are feeding the military-industrial complex by declaring war in our very own neighborhoods. And when the billionaires have had enough of this, which they will, when they grow tired and bored of everyone on this planet, they devise the ultimate in white flight. They start colonizing other planets. And by the way, don't stand on one foot waiting for your invitation to that new neighborhood. It is not coming. Now, of course, it's harder for us to accept the repentance and conversion of those we have found deplorable in our own day. It wouldn't be hard, frankly, for us to imagine our own response if right now our least favorite person locally, nationally, globally, walked through those doors and responded here with repentance to the message of the gospel. Just think about that person saying the confession receiving forgiveness, taking communion right next to us here in this place. If you are repulsed by that image, and I'm not immune to that, by the way, then we need to look at our own righteousness and how we see ourselves in the scheme of things. You see, we're very often stingy with the thing that we deeply desire the most, forgiveness. We crave the place of judgment. We want to sit on the judgment seat and rule over others or enjoy the spectacular downfall of those we feel are our enemies. But this is violence. It's violence that infects our hearts and it blocks the true righteousness of God from working inside of us to change us 
into the likeness of Christ. If we could just take ourselves off the judgment seat for a minute, we would see how much we have in common with those whom we despise. We would see how deeply we need repentance, how deeply we need to offer reparation in our own lives to those whom we have wronged. You see, the righteous are those who first and foremost have recognized their sinfulness and their need of God's mercy and forgiveness. Any other posture than that is self-righteousness and nothing else. God is always, always ready and waiting for us to turn back to receive the love and forgiveness that we truly crave. God can call us, call us into the righteousness we were born into, no matter how far we've strayed from it, no matter how long it's been since we felt that stirring in our souls. And our hearts, our hearts must be ready ready to turn and recognize that need, our desperate need. If we do that, then we, with Zacchaeus, might live up to the name that we are given. You see, Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus, means one who is righteous. Think of that. Zacchaeus, who was hated. Zacchaeus, who, like the tax collector from last week, skimmed off the top to line his own pockets, took advantage of the poor. Zacchaeus is the one whom Jesus says, I want to have dinner with you. I'm going to your house. Think about what that must have felt like to those standing around. He comes into town and picks the worst guy to hang out with? What in the world is happening here? And yet, Jesus called forth the righteousness in Zacchaeus. And in the midst of that conversation, there was conversion. And Zacchaeus saw his faults, repented of them, and sought to make amends. This is the stuff that our lives are to be made of. None of us walk through this life unstained from sin. None of us. And all of us, no matter how small or great, no matter how lauded or how hated, have the loving forgiveness of God available to us. Thing is, we often just don't think we need it. We're not like other people. We don't need that. We go to church all the time. As it's been said, Going to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like standing in your garage doesn't make you a car. 
It's about your heart. It's about what happens when we leave. God can call forth from us righteousness, the righteousness that we were born to. That righteousness is given to us so that we may serve God through serving others. That is the worship that God wants. Now, we love our assemblies. We love our worship. And let's make good on the promises made here with what we do when we leave there. God willing, we will live up to our name like Zacchaeus did. Amen.